I'd certainly like to welcome each one of you here. It's uh, been a time for us looking forward to doing this uh, exam track. We've never done it before this way. We've done it as a church January through uh, May, and we do it during the, during the Sunday morning. But not everybody can come all those times, and certainly those of you who are here that are not part of Grace Fellowship Church, you don't, you don't get to participate in that. So when they suggested, well, let's do an exam track during this time, uh, I was really excited about that opportunity to do it. Now, uh, we're not the first ones to do it. Faith Baptists, if you're familiar with them, in Lafayette, they've been doing this for years and years and years. So instead of reinventing the wheel uh, from how to do it, we're sort of following their procedure. And it's worked really well. We've sent some of our own people up there uh, to do it. And how it basically works is we'll, I'll sort of lecture for uh, an hour. So we'll do three, four questions every hour. We're going to really go at it, hit it hard. And then we'll be on the same break schedule as everybody else, take a break, and then come on back. And then that next hour, go ahead and focus writing the answers to the the three, four questions that we just talked about. And most of those hours, God willing, I will be here with you. So if you have any questions or you've got some great idea that, you know, uh, we missed, I missed, you know, feel free to speak up and we can help each other along the way. So that's how we'll work our time. So tonight we have four hours, but uh, I'm not going to uh, lecture to you for four hours, you know, anything like like that. Uh, So you'll really have the time uh, to work on your exam, so that's why we have the power. We've asked you to bring your uh, laptops, and you can you can go uh, right at it. So, uh, let's see. Let me take a moment here and just uh, uh, pray for us, and then we'll do some more preliminaries. Lord, we thank you that uh, you are our God, and that you are here, and uh, you are everywhere. The whole universe is yours, and we yes. We understand that greatness, but also, Lord, because you've rescued each one of us by what you, Christ, have done, and now, Spirit, you being in us, that uh, we, are, we are very different people, and uh, you are close to us and close to each one of us. And, Lord, we have uh, gathered uh, in you, and we want you to be uh, the teacher. We want you to be the helper. We want you to be our, our advocate. Because each of the participants, and myself included, as we work through this material, Lord, we want to be able to understand you better. We want to understand ourselves better. We want to live lives that are more in tune with you, Spirit, and keeping in step with you. And as you enable us, Lord, and give us the privilege, we would like to be as valuable as possible as an instrument in your hands to come alongside others and to to help them. So, Lord, please use this time to help us uh, do that. So we are uh, grateful uh, for these things and give thanks ahead of time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. My name is uh, Ken Long, and uh, um, I'm here at service to to help you. Totally, that's... uh, Oh, I can do anything I can do. Just uh, let me know, and I'll be glad uh, to help you. As uh, uh, some of you know that are here at Grace Fellowship, I get to serve uh, with you as the executive pastor. And uh, so this is really fun to be able to take this long time and be able to uh, teach and work through this material with you. And I don't know how many years we've now done it in the wintertime, maybe three or four so that's a number of our folks have, have gone, th- gone through it then, but now to go through it this uh, intense time. Now, uh, I'm married. Some of you know Beth. She's my wife. And uh, if you don't, if you're somewhere else, she's the one that's in the resource center. So uh, certainly I want to send everybody to the resource center and look at the materials there and, and uh, uh, 
don't, as much as I love the Resource Center, do not buy what you don't need. But go ahead and buy everything you need. And if there's something that you uh, need or desire or you think the Lord wants you to have, and uh, uh, you can see we've already sold out of it, just uh, let Beth know, and she'll be making an order, and then you can come pick it up in October or November. So if you see things you need, if we get sold out right away, uh, just let her know, and she'll be glad, glad to help you. Some of the uh, theology books she let me bring down here. So if you want to and don't have this theology book and you want to look at it to see, ooh, is this the one that uh, uh, I need or would be helpful to me, go ahead and look at it. And if you want it, just on one of our breaks, uh, go ahead on up to the uh, uh, resource center and just uh, just pay for it. So we brought them down here so you could could see. Okay, good. Um, let's see. Now, I just want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, purpose of the exam. As you know, it's totally open book, open notes, open discussion, everything. And in fact, you should have. Um, all my, all my notes uh, there. Now, uh, no one else, though, can write it for you. You have to write your own exam uh, there. But so that's the part that I really want to help you with so that <clears throat> when we're done at the end of November and a little bit after that, uh, there should be enough time for you to really have to have completed uh, the exam, and to uh, get her done and to be moving on. Now, I'm going to talk to you a lot about what they're looking for on the exam. And, but the most important thing is not to write what they're looking for. The important thing is to write what you truly believe in this part here, especially the theology, what you truly believe about God and the way he works with people. And even if it's not exactly what uh, they're looking for, uh, you write and back it up and uh, see how God, uh, God uses it. Now, I want to give you uh, one thing about the exam. It's not a, not a pass-fail sort of thing. That When you turn it in, they look at it and say, oh, this, this is just miserable, and say, you have failed. No, it's not that sort of thing. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you're not going to get miserable sort of uh, comment about it. But what they will do, and it happens with most people, uh, that they'll ask you to rewrite this question or that question, and they'll ask you to explain further uh, what you mean in this session, section. So, uh, so... Don't be nervous about that. It's totally an education uh, exercise for you to learn so that you will be a better and better counselor as you help people come alongside, better and better discipler, and they are there uh, to help you, and they are great, great uh, graders that do it. So, and also, if you have any questions along the way, feel free to to ask them. Now, when I teach it on Sunday mornings, we have a lot more time to talk back and forth, uh, but here we got to pretty well motor through a lot of the, of the material. Now, let me give you a suggestion on just how, uh, how to go through the process of how do I start? I don't really have anything written down yet. Well, I'm going to pretty much follow pretty closely to the notes there. So you're not going to have a lot of things to write down. But as you're looking through the notes and you're listening to me, you know, circle, highlight, you know, things that jump out at the notes for, for you so that then you can go back. And if a verse comes to mind that's on that topic that's not written there, you know, jot it down. Or the Spirit brings an idea to your mind, jot it down. So use the notes. Uh, originally, when I first printed them out, I think they were in 12-point font, you know, single-spaced. So I realized, well, if I make it 14-point and make it one-and-a-half, there's plenty of room for you. So, yeah, there'll be more paper, but there'll be plenty of room for you to work and really make it 
uh, yours. Okay, so we'll follow it through. Then, so we'll work through it. Then we'll take a break. We'll come on back. And my suggestion to you would be, on your outline, is you've just heard the lecture, talk on it. We've raised some questions together. Those have been answered. Now you've got to start writing. I would, on your computer, on a piece of paper, I would lay out your, your paragraphs. And I would write, okay, this paragraph I want to write about and give a, a topic sentence. If you don't have a whole topic sentence, then the idea. And then on this one here, my next paragraph on this question number one, I want this to be my main idea. And then get, you know, get three, four you know, paragraphs you know, and separating the ideas so everything just doesn't run together on you. So get those, those main ideas out there. And then once you have those main ideas, then go in and fill it in with three, four points underneath each one of those main ideas. Do you see how it's working? You're going to have your notes. I'm going to have it broken out into some paragraphs I thought were reasonable. You might find them also helpful. You might go a different way. But then what's your main idea that you want to talk about in that paragraph? You know, just some, sketch out your next three, four points under each one of those. <laughs> then once you have that outline, then as soon as you can, just go and start writing a rough draft. On, write out those paragraphs with sentences. They can be really rough, really uh, uh, just ragged on the edges there. But just get something, get something down on paper so you can see it. Now once you get it down on paper, then my suggestion would be then go back and check your references. Look things up. Decide, okay, which verses do I want to have written out longhand? Which verses I just want to show an address for? Okay, if you, if you start trying to do that, start that in the beginning, you'll never get anywhere. Okay, so uh, actually by the end, you know, of a, a weekend, you should pretty much have the questions all to that point. And then uh, to the least point to the rough draft, and then when you go home between now and we come back in October, you then can check on the references, look them up in the, in the books, get everything set, and then clean up for your pretty much final answer. And you're ready to go for the next set of questions. So seems like a reasonable plan, at least. But then you go ahead and modify it for what works best for you, but at least get some idea of how you attack uh, this, this elephant. So you, you know what the story is. How do you eat an elephant? You know, you know one bite at a time. So we're just going to bite through uh, a good elephant uh, here. All right, let me see if there's anything else. Oh, another thing I want to tell you, uh, as I've read a lot of people's exams and helped them through this process, this is not a university paper. Uh, you don't have to footnote all over the place. I read one last year. And this, this fellow had, he had footnotes. He had, uh, I never wrote that well even when I was in college. Uh, but he had all that in it. No, that is, that is not. I, I, when I submitted my exam, I had no footnotes uh, or anything like that. Uh, you don't have to have that. And it's to be in a very conversational style. Uh, you, you can write as if Ernest Hemingway was writing this here. Very conversational, not like a, a technical paper, not like you were at university or anything like that. And also, you can start with the very basics as you are answering the question. Because the idea is, picture you are helping a person who is sitting across from the table from you, who knows absolutely nothing in this, on this topic you're going to tell them. So you can start from the very basic, in simple sentences to help them understand. Or, it's not that they know nothing, they know a whole lot, but they don't know biblically at all what it is. So you have to start from the very basic of the scriptures. So, uh, that is where you're going to get, you know, a page, a page and a half, typically, answering these, these questions. 
as you'll find out, and people who are part of Grace Fellowship know, is that Brad and I are close friends. But we have radically different personalities. Uh, he is an extreme expander. So for him to get his questions down the one and a half pages was very, very difficult. I'm on the other end as a condenser. You know, I just want to outline it with bullet points. I don't want to do sentences. I don't want to put any uh, punctuation in. And I'm done in about a quarter of a page and all. So it was a challenge for me to get it on up there. Uh, but So hopefully you'll fall somewhere in between and you'll be able to hit that. And there'll be ones that you're not going to hit a page. You know, and there's going to be ones that you're going to go two pages. Those are just general guidelines. Okay? Well, on getting started, uh, any questions there on that? All right. You got a plan? So just uh, work through the notes. And uh, let's see if there's anything else here. Okay. All right. Let me get my notes. Let's go to the first uh, question. Like I said, uh, I'm going to just work through them uh, with you. Uh, read a lot of the things that are written there, but you don't have to try and scribble down all that I have said. It's right there. Uh, you underline, cross, you check things, you use all kinds of color. It is, it is yours, whatever you need uh, to do here. All right, so let me get to the first one with you. Good. And there's some, uh, now, some, some places I've left blanks just to keep you awake, so you've got to fill something in here. And if I just zoom by and don't tell you what's in the blank, you know, or say it too fast, you know, raise your hand and uh, let me know. Good. And also, another thing that is helpful, I've found, is you'll see a lot of it's written in, in question format, as I've written the outline. As you're, as you're writing it, think as if you're answering the question, even as you break it up and go through. So let's look at the first question. I, you'll see there, uh, I've broken it down to four paragraphs for you to consider. The first one is, let's deal with definitions. So what does inspired mean? Okay? Your first question is, Bible is spoken of as inspired. What does that mean? Okay? So what does inspired mean? Looking at going on in your notes there, the next part is B, Key passages, all right? Get some definitions out there, right? Let them know what you're thinking, and then start looking at some key passages that explain further what uh, inspired means. Then under C, then, okay, if it's inspired, then what characteristics then are of the scriptures? And then the uh, last one is D. Uh, what makes up the Bible? For some of us, that might, uh, uh, that might be a little, a, a little strange, but we want to write about it. Well, and we'll talk through it as we get to that part. Now, um, seeing there in your, your notes, this inspired one, okay? Now, everybody talks about they're inspired. They're inspired as an athlete. You know, you watch uh, public television, uh, Downton, Downton Abbey is supposed to be inspired as you watch it, you know. Um, not, not quite sure about that, but certainly not the way we talk about it. So, uh, so we want to make sure. Now, as the notes say here, where's the wor- where does the word really come from? In our English language, it's come over from the King James Version, and that might be the version that uh, some of you use, and that might be one you use in church. It's a fine Fine version, but that's it says there, inspired in Second Timothy three sixteen, in seventeen, and so that's how it's come uh, for us. Now, like I said, it has a it has a weak meaning because now everything is inspired. So, what does it mean when the the scriptures are inspired? And so, let's talk about a little bit more uh, literal translation translation of the actual word. Now. Uh, not always does the NIV do a great job interpreting things and staying literal, but there in the NIV it says, God breathed. That is a pretty decent understanding of that, that word. It is coming from God. So basically, when we talk about 
inspired. It's not that we're inspired to, to do great things. It's that to speak of the fact that the words of Scripture are spoken by God. All right? These basically, very straightforward, this is what we have is the word of God. And in number three there, the source of all Scripture is from God. Now, when you're writing your answer, one of the things that you want to clear up is you, it's not like, you know, it just sort of dropped from heaven. Uh, Roger probably knows better. Didn't, didn't some of the Mormon things just drop from heaven, the writings? Uh, and uh, the, so the, these didn't just appear like that. And uh, the authors were not just uh, receiving dictation either. They, their personality was involved. Their culture was involved. So these are the type of things that you, uh, you know, want to talk about in that, that section. So pretty much you're going to, they want, a clear under, want to know that you have a clear understanding of what it means inspired. Yeah? Does that make sense? Get you going? Now, what are, some, what are some key passages that are going to illustrate from Scripture that this really is uh, the Word of God? So Matthew 4.4, 4, you know, this is uh, the passage where Jesus is being tempted. And, uh, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And certainly at that time, what was being referred to was the Old Testament. That's, that's all the Lord and believers before that had at that time. And then Jesus you know, then gives answers to the temptations from the Word of God. So Now, a passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, 19 through 21. Now, you'll want to take some... We won't take time right now, so I can keep on schedule with you. Just keep working it through. But go ahead and circle that one big in your notes because you'll want, definitely want to use that, and that'll give you an understanding. As it says there, it's from God. Number two, no scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. This just wasn't Isaiah's ideas. This was, this was God speaking through Isaiah. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, even in the Old Testament time. Another verse that's very key that you want to circle there is the Second Peter 3, 14 through 16, that you think about it. Because here, what this does, it, it connects Paul with the writings of other scriptures. So this is a big, this is a big step here where... Peter is writing, he's not writing about himself, but he's connecting Paul's writings with the Old Testament writings. And that's a big jump to take, you know, one of the apostles and to make their writings at the same same level. And of course, that's the way we accept it. We accept, you know, the Old Testament and New Testament totally as from God and being true prophetic writings for the church at all times and all ages at all places. Okay, so uh, you can look down uh, through that. Now, some now what you want to do is think about some some characteristics of you know write a paragraph of what you believe about the Bible. So, well, since this is from God, all right, uh, and if God is good, the writings are going to be good. If it's from God, then it's going to be beneficial for you, know, you uh, and for helping others. It's going to be very valuable you know, as you're thinking about how to live your life in a wise way. It's going to, it's going to help meet our needs. We all need a, uh, a refuge. We all need to know the Lord. And so it's through the scriptures uh, we know him. And then 
Another important thing there is the Isaiah uh, 48. Is that it speaks of the timeless value of God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands or endures forever. There are great people that come and go. There are fine books. They come and they go. But there is nothing quite like the word of God that is inspired and is illuminated uh, uh, to us. Okay? Does that help there and what they're looking for? Give you some ideas? Now, um, let me give you there's an old phrase that's often used in theologies, and it's a word that's called plenary. I'll write it down. It's P-L-E-N-A-R-Y. You don't necessarily have to use it, but let me give it to you just in case. And people speak of plenary inspiration. And this falls also under this area of characteristics because plenary inspiration means all the words of Scripture are God's words. Okay? So, because plenary is an old-fashioned word that means full. So what you're, you're saying about the characteristics of this inspired word, we don't have anything else that's inspired like the word of God. So it's inspired from the very beginning to the end. All of it is inspired. All of it's the word of God. Also, it's full in that we don't need anything additionally to help us in that sense of from God. All right? So that's what these characteristics that you want to, that go along with it being inspired. Because you could write, you know, it could be done in three sentences. You know, inspired means it's the Word of God and you're done. But what's all that mean to us? And why are we referred to as biblical counselors? And why, we, as we're speaking to people, why do we keep our finger always on the Word of God and it's not just our good ideas. You all have tremendous amounts of life experience. And you can get counseling and you want to talk about that. But what you really want to stick to is the Word of God and use your life experience to highlight you know, what the Word of God is already saying. Okay? So those are some of the, the characteristics. Okay. Tracking with me? So I tried to do as I worked on this. Now your next paragraph is what makes up the Bible? Now, for us, it's 66 books. There are the 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Now, there's, you know, there's been debates about that. You know, Martin Luther, he, he had struggled at one time with uh, James. He wanted to take that one out. He didn't, but uh, wrestled with it. But it's all... Uh, the Word of God. Uh, now, um, even in the evangelical camp, uh, there are, uh, the Apocrypha, you can look that up in the theology, the Apocrypha is creeping in. I saw an advertisement the other day for a, a Bible. And I could buy the Bible either with the 66 books or I could buy it with the 66 books plus the Apocrypha, which are these intertestament books. Um, I ended up not buying that edition at all. So I might later, but I'm only going to get the... Uh, uh, I'm going to, I, I don't have a copy of the Apocrypha, so I'm, they, they've divided the Bible up into five uh, volumes, and you, you can buy... Uh, all five volumes, and it does include the Apocrypha. So I think I'm going to buy, if I buy it, I'm going to get all five volumes so I can read it uh, someday. But, uh, but even regular editions uh, of the Bible, they have it in there. Uh, remember also in your counseling, which you're going, this is going to be a challenge, is you're going to use the New Testament primarily, often. But do not neglect the Old Testament. All the scripture is inspired. It's just not the New Testament. Sure, we're very thankful because it tells so much about the mystery of Christ's coming. And there are a lot of things 
telling you do this and don't do that in Ephesians and Colossians. But there are great things that to teach of the truth of God in all the scriptures. Remember that. Also, some people say that the Sermon on the Mount is not for now. No, the Sermon on the Mount is, you know, probably was Jesus' stomping speech as he went from city to city, village to village, and was speaking. This is the way that the kingdom of God has come. This is the way you can start making, uh, trying to live in that direction. So uh, that is all included. And then, you know, not things like the Book of Mormon and, and so forth. All right? So, rush through it, I know, but at least it'll give you, you know, from that one simple question, what does it mean to be inspired? Do you have something to write on? Okay? Good. That's, now, I just don't want you to write. I also want this, that as you're writing, you're going to learn. And that you're going to learn that when somebody asks you or when you're using it, it's going to, going to help you. So, uh, that's what I want. If I'm not doing that, talk to me at break so I can make adjustments for the next one and, and do better. So, let, you ready for the next question? All right. Let's jump on it. What is the relationship between infallibility and authority? Okay. So, now that we've got the Word of God down that it's inspired, we want to see what this means here. So, uh, once again... I've sort of got laid it out, laid it out in paragraphs. A, define terms. That could be your first paragraph. B, here you see key verses again. That could be your second paragraph. Then C, okay, if this word of God is infallible and has authority, well, what are the under C outcomes or results or consequences of there? All right, if you if you're holding something in your hand that's authoritative, well, it's going to have some outcomes. And so you, you'll want to talk through that uh, there. Then under uh, D, okay, you're, you're going to have confidence in the Word and a responsibility uh, there since it is uh, infallible and authoritative. And then E, you might uh, take some time and discuss examples where the Bible would be authoritative over uh, authorities of our culture. Okay? So let's look at that and work through it. So the first paragraph, at least is the way I've sort of laid it out uh, for you. The first word is infallibility. Okay? That's uh, written there in the question. What is the relationship between infallibility and authority? Basically, a shorthand definition is correct or exact in all areas discussed. Sometimes you'll hear a word used inerrant, without error. That's synonymous. And at this level, you can uh, use those interchangeably. Um, authority is the next one. You have to define what authority is. Okay? Basically, if it's authority, it, it must be followed. Okay? We as Americans typically don't like that sort of thing, but we all live under authority. Must be followed. Now, in the scriptures, there's some connotations. Is that if you follow the scriptures, it's of great benefit in obeying. And that's very important for us to remember, and it's an important point to get across to our, our counselors. It's just not that this has authority and it's hammering. You've got to do this. This is, you do this and live this way. This is to God's glory and it's going to be to your benefit and blessing uh, there. And uh, also the, the B that's written there, it's very important to realize that <clears throat> it's not just commands, but anywhere that they're, yeah, yes, it is commands. But remember, since we have the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, the, the real counselor with a capital C, if the Lord tells us to live a certain way or to do something through the authority of his word, the scriptures, he's going to help us do it. So remember that for yourself and remember that 
for your counselor. Because remember, you're writing this so that it'll help make you not be just a better theologian, but really to be a better counselor also. And so the promise of ability to progressively do this here. So example, you know, uh, love your enemies. This command is a great benefit to me. Uh, I struggle in this area. We probably all struggle in it. If we've got somebody labeled as an as an enemy, you know they've they've hurt us, and so but God give me the promise to progressively love my enemies better and better, and that's something to be grateful for from this word of God that's infallible and authority. Now, key verses here. Some of these you know: Second Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for. Uh, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man or woman you know, of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's Second Peter again. Got a Matthew uh, 5.18. There, that's where uh, the Lord says, not the smallest letter will by any means disappear from, from the law has that authority. Then Matthew 15, 2 through 9, and there he's talking uh, to the folks, and they're, they've set their traditions up over uh, the word of God. And he says, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And then the last one, 1 Corinthians 14, 37. Uh, what he's saying here, Paul writes, what I'm writing to you is the Lord's uh, command. So these are just examples where it, he, saying that it has the authority. And then uh, look up numbers. I don't remember off the top of my head what that one says. Now, let's look at outcomes. Um, if infallible and authoritative, then it's going to be trustworthy or truthful or dependable on all issues okay, that are addressed. It doesn't address everything. It used to uh, vocationally work as a structural engineer, and there weren't a whole lot of things that the, the Word of God said about uh, you know, being a structural engineer. It's, uh, there were some real key things that I needed to be Honest, you know, in my work, and but it didn't give me a lot of things about how to analyze whether the structure would stand up. But the things that it does talk about, it is that. So when Scripture makes a statement about a matter, it is truth. So I've written an example here of the Hittites. You might have a different one that you've run across, and this happens uh, periodically through the history with with Scriptures. Okay. Originally, uh, there was no exam- There was no uh, evidence around the 1900s, at the beginning of the last century, 1900s, that the Hittites existed. Uh, so uh, people took thinking, well, it just must be, you know, theology that's written there in the. Uh, Old Testament, because by then they had done some good archaeology and people had studied ancient civilizations and knew a lot about the Greeks and the Romans, but nothing about the Hittites. And so there was this wave of German liberal theology coming through that the, that the Word of God, the, what we, they called the Bible, it was not an inspired. It was not authoritative. And a main example, a major example, here it talks about these Hittites. Hittites never existed. And so uh, so then this got picked up in some of our major universities that actually were established to train pastors. might seem unusual that Harvard and Princeton, originally their charters, they were to train pastors for these communities. In fact, uh, probably the greatest American theologian that ever lived, Jonathan Edwards, he became president of uh, uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. It wasn't Theological Seminary then, but Princeton College then. 
Uh, so these were, but uh, they picked this up, and so uh, they also were starting to say the same thing about the, the scriptures, its value, not authoritative, not trustworthy, so or, But then uh, some Hittite things had been discovered, and as things turn around, uh, now, if you want, you can go to Harvard and actually get a, a PhD, not in the study of the mythology of Hittites, but you know, their culture and so forth, a major mover and influencer uh, in the, uh, that part of the world, as the scriptures uh, say and indicate. So that uh, thing happens. Now, the same thing is happening with... Uh, King David, and I think it was an article I read in 2009. I haven't gone back, but it's been since I've been serving here with Grace Fellowship Church. And I remember reading it in U.S. News and World Report. And they likened King David that, said, yeah, yeah, King David, he's, he's like King Arthur in England. You know, there, uh, if you start reading about King Arthur, there are all kinds of legends about him. Uh, it's just not like... Uh, Camelot, you know, we've seen the musical Camelot. There are all kinds of legends, and they they contradict each other. And uh, uh, but there's all these stories about this guy King Arthur. And so, did King Arthur really live? Was there really this guy? You know, but the historical evidence is is actually very, very, very thin. And so this it was U.S. News and World Report not that many years ago was likening. King David to King Arthur. That, you know, there's these interesting stories about him. There's love affairs. There's killing off husbands. You know, this kind of thing. Does he really exist? Well, for us, we believe that the Word of God is true and uh, that yeah, King David, you know, he did exist. And uh, those... Uh, Stories attributed in the scripture, they are true and they are valuable for teaching uh, in a way that will be helpful to others. Now, one of the things about the Word of God, if it's infallible and authoritative, then it is sufficient. And that's something we'll wrestle with in this question and through even a couple of the questions in the counseling time. Because that is the main issue between biblical counseling, the way we practice it, and between what other people might call Christian counseling. Or uh, is the word of God uh, sufficient? So, so it's totally sufficient in spiritual matters. We don't need to look elsewhere. It tells us how God relates to man, and there's no need for further instruction than that which is found in uh, the scriptures. So, example. So, uh, for us, it talks about repentance. We can re- we can repent. There, we don't see, you know, in Catholicism they've added some things here. There uh, need to have a a church service, a mass. Uh, good thing if someone dies. Good thing to to. You don't pay to have this done. No, we, we certainly believe the person repented unto salvation. You don't need to do any extra works here after they've died or, or anything like that. The Word of God is authoritative and trustworthy. Now, that doesn't mean that in our counseling we don't do anything besides use the Scriptures. Okay. There are things that we will use, but they must be things and tools that certainly do not contradict what the Scriptures say. So uh, all of you have been through fundamentals. If you remember way back to taking fundamentals, that uh, you learned the uh, four laws of communication. And you remember where you got those four laws from? They're basically at the end of Ephesians chapter 4. And they're illustrations of where God had Paul write about putting off and putting on. 
in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. And then in God's kindness, he gives then some real clear examples of putting off and putting on. And many of those put-offs and put-on deal with how we relate to each other and especially how we communicate with one another. And that's where we get the four laws of communication. So you'll teach that. But also if you, I don't know if the speaker got to it when you had it, but uh, at least in your notes, you'll probably see that there's, count, there's what they call a conference table of how to... How do, you, how do you work with a couple that's having trouble even getting started with the four rules or laws of communication? How, how do you set it down in an orderly way? You know, there in the notes, you know, he establishes when there's going to be a meeting. She makes sure that the question being discussed at that time is clear. She's the one that takes notes. Then they agree to meet later. Now, there's nothing in Scripture that says anything like the conference table. But is it helpful on issues that a couple has trouble communicating about to even get started to use the four? Yes. And so we will use tools like that, but they don't contradict the Word of God at all or anything about its authority. All right? So when we talk about sufficiency, it's sufficient and what we need, but we use additional tools also. Now, thinking in terms of another paragraph, D, the confidence and responsibility. Now that we have the Word of God and it's infallible and authoritative, uh, it, that's tr- supposed to be true in each believer's life in all the aspects of our lives. When we are speaking from the Word of God, we can have confidence that we're guiding people appropriately. So knowing that the Word of God is authoritative and infallible, we can have tremendous confidence. It's, it's not going to change on us. Someone's not going to come out with a new psychological technique and the ones we've been using thrown out. We can have that confidence of guiding people appropriately when teaching or counseling from the Word of God for their understanding and need. That will give us help as we humbly come alongside. Now, we also have this responsibility. We have an obligation to follow it. We have an obligation to follow it ourselves, and we have an obligation to really help the other person follow it. So when we're teaching the four laws of, of communication... And it talks about in Ephesians you know, 4.29 of, of speaking that word that is really helpful. You know, we can really, you know, if husband's speaking to the, the wife and, is, and he's just not speaking words that are according to the need of the moment, we can really, you know, come alongside in a kind, gentle way and just say, you need to be thinking before you open your mouth, what is really the need of your wife? Just not what you want her to know and what you want to tell her, but what's the need? Because that's what the Word of God says here. So we can then be definite about it. All right? So here's some verses. Uh, John fourteen fifteen, uh, verse 21, verse 23. Circle 23. It's a, it's a key verse. Uh, there goes something like this. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. I mean, that is a great promise as you're talking to people and you are helping people follow the commands of God. Whoever has my commands, and if you help them, obey them. Just the promises that go along with it. Then look at verse 23. 23 then talks about, you know, in 21 it talks about the Trinity manifesting themselves to the person. 23 talks about there of 
making our home there. That's now and in this life. And there's only two places that word is used. It's used in the beginning of John 14, where the Lord is talking about he's going away to prepare a special place for you in heaven. In the King James, it says mansions. That word is only used in the New Testament in the beginning of 14 and in 23, where as you help people follow the commands of God, you are helping them put themselves in the way of God's grace for even now for him to have a special place in their lives. So as you have this infallible authority of the word of God. Good. You might discuss a couple in your answer. You might discuss a couple examples where the word of God is different than the authority of the culture. Okay. For you reading the Word of God in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, reconciliation, certainly between believers, is something you want to work on and even ourselves as much as we are able, it says in Romans 12. The world, uh, you know, some people aren't, you know, getting along. They go their way, I go my way. We're very different when it comes to, to that. All right. Also marriage, divorce, remarriage. Well, 1 Corinthians 7 has a lot to say about that. That's very different than the culture of no-fault divorce. Also, you can write a reference there, uh, Matthew 5, uh, verse 32, and also Matthew 19.9. So, do you have some idea what they wanted? And... What you can write here? Good. So that's question number two. So we will zoom through the next two questions really, really fast. Okay. Now, three. What is the Bible's authority on, the, on theological controversies? Okay, so here we are. We got, they want to know how you're going to handle controversies. Actually, this question is very vague. And uh, there are two ways to go in answering this question. And so uh, answer it both ways. So it depends on your grader which one they really want. But uh, the first direction you'll see under B, direction number one is basically this. The Bible is the final authority for all answers on theological controversies. So if you're talking to somebody and you're talking about something that deals with God and spiritual about man and the Bible says something about it, The Bible is the final authority on it. Now, looking in your notes over on C, the second direction is to go, God's word has authority on how one should conduct oneself when involved in theological controversy with a brother or a sister. So you see the difference? Okay? Okay, because you can do number one, you know, using the scriptures, answering the question on a theological issue, but you can totally miss. You can be mean. You can be underhanded. You can be disrespectful. You can be prideful. And so you want to do both. All right? So you can see there. You can read through the notes on, on three. Okay? Uh, so one important thing uh, under I, you'll see a blank of how to handle so here's a process of how to handle controversy. So in your answer, lay it out. Okay? Study, if you're having trouble you know, with a theological issue, and it's a brother or sister, you know, study the scriptures together. Use solid principles of interpretation or hermeneutics. Now, you know, there are whole large books written on this, but just a simple guideline is, you know, let Scripture interpret Scripture. There are some passages that are uh, sort of obscure, only, you know, topics only mentioned once, but they're, uh, you know, the, those are tough ones to use to come down very, very hard on something. So use passages that, okay, the one you might be looking at might not be totally clear on it, but there are other passages that uh, talk about it. Let's take an example, like, a prayer. There's, there's passages that say, you know, uh, when you pray, 
Whatever you wish for, God will do. No, right there in John 14. But there's a whole lot of other, you know, passages about prayer also. So if you're going to talk about prayer and you have somebody who just, okay, if I wish for a Cadillac, God says, you know, he'll give me a Cadillac. You can have other passages that, uh, uh, you know, talk to that. Another one is like clear passages shed light on unclear ones. And then remember always that context is king. Always be talking about, you know, the looking at the verses around the verse and so forth as you work, work through it. Now, you want to help the other person handle Scripture well, you need to handle Scripture well too. Just not pick one that's your favorite hobby horse uh, there. Okay? Then the next one talks about, remember, how should we conduct ourselves? You know, through the whole, you know, dealing with somebody, we want 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do means also talking to someone in a theological controversy. Whatever you do, you want to do it to God's glory. And you want to be a peacemaker through it. You not necessarily want to win. You want to learn and have better light shown. Uh, do all we can to be sure our position is truthful. Always go in with the learner's, learner's spirit. There are some verses there under Roman numeral 4. Always be gentle and respectful. Uh, I don't uh, circle those verses, Second Timothy Two twenty-two through 26. It talks about there where if someone doesn't agree with you, continue to teach. But remember, it's not you who's going to be the main persuader. It's going to be God. It's like they're entangled uh, there. Also, write down Galatians uh, 6, verse 1 and 2. I think there also it talks about, you know, uh, you who are spiritual, restore the other person gently. Uh, we can't let that, that slide. Five, there, you, a major thing is you want to try and preserve the unity of the spirit. Okay. And it would be uh, six, be a peacemaker, look for a common solution if possible. Uh, seven, when you've sinned, uh, repent. Okay. Jumping ahead to D. Now, sometimes believers must go their separate ways. Okay. And there's two conditions when believers must go their separate ways. One, is the issue significant enough? Here's an, and I gave you an example. Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's, that's significant enough. I have a, a number of people that I know and love who are uh, in liberal churches and uh, they're taught uh, Jesus is one of the ways up the mountain to God. So, I, I, you know, for there, you know, uh, we're not going to talk about that over and over again. All the, you know, Buddha was one way, you know, Confucius was another. We're not... We just have to go our, our separate ways on that. But always want to be gentle and share the gospel with them. Another one, views are so divergent that fellowship uh, is impossible. So, so example of significant divergent views. And I, so I just give you one here that's important to us at Grace Fellowship Church. We really believe that the reason, one of the ideals, the reason God gave the church was for believers to help one another grow to be more like Christ. Well, it talks about in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So, but you have some Christians that, uh, you know, it's, it's not really important that Christians are really growing in righteousness. And they could be in part of the evangelical community, uh, great people, but... Uh, we're probably not going to change our direction here at Grace Fellowship Church to be all-inclusive and say, you know, that's a fine idea for you. Uh, we, we have to say, no, we really don't see that as what the Scriptures say. 
So you know, there's some other, other things here. Example of divergent views that should not cause separation. Now, now, now this isn't always agreed on by everybody, but here, uh, end times. There are some different views in end times. You know, some, most of us are premillennialists, and, but is the Lord coming be, before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, at the end? We're not going to break fellowship you know, on, that, on that sort of thing. So that, some ideas there. Okay? Any, I think there's one maybe, is there one more blank under E? You got a blank under E? You got a guy's name. Okay, so you can read through that and get a, get a handle. All right, let's take our break. And when does it say we're supposed to be back? 6.20. All right. Let's be back at uh, 6.20. And uh, this will be a time for you now. You can write your final answers word perfect for the first three questions. So. (laughs)